Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky, over-the-counter, or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? This is Dr. Ronald Hoppe with a better natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex. Future Farm's liquid turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief. Sourced and manufactured in the United States, this product contains 1,600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties. This plant-based curcumin is used to possibly reduce inflammation, block proteins that trigger swelling, and intercept inflammatory pathways, significantly decreasing inflammatory responses. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Don't live with pain when there's an all-natural, science-based remedy that works. myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoppe, and we're talking about anxiety and a breakthrough technique to help you overcome anxiety, phobias, panic attacks. The book is entitled Panic Free. It truly is novel because, um, you know, I, I work with a lot of patients uh, on the issue of panic. We usually uh, work with uh, behavioral techniques, traditional behavioral techniques. Sometimes I tell them to get uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, we teach them uh, breathing techniques. So we also uh, sometimes use things like magnesium. Uh, we use theanine. Uh, we'll use things uh, like CBD. That's, uh, you know, something that has a calmative effect. Um, but these are limited in their success for people with uh, dyed-in-the-wool phobias, severe panic attacks. Um, so, uh, Tom, what, what are some of the other conditions besides fear of flying that are amenable to this? Well, it's if you look at flying, first of all, the, the problem is that uh, the person who panics believes that they're in a life-threatening situation they can't escape. Um, but situations that really aren't life-threatening but could push into a panic attack where you can't escape, MRIs, bridges, tunnels, mm -hmm. um, high places, uh, even interstate highways, because if you start to have a panic attack, you've got to go all the way to the next exit to get relief. Mm -hmm. so, this would be a form of agoraphobia, where people are afraid of traveling or going out in public. Well, it's but the, the key, I think, experientially is if a person starts to have a panic attack, they want relief right now. Mm -hmm. And if they've got to wait till the elevator door opens or the MRI machine lets them out or they get down from the high place, that's not quick enough. Even mm -hmm. even sitting in a movie theater, mm -hmm. if you're sitting in the middle of the row, some mm -hmm. people can't handle that. They need to be on the yep. end, otherwise yep. they can't go to the theater. Well, I had that experience uh, actually earlier today because I was in my garage and I you know, was cleaning up. I closed the garage and I realized there was a bird inside. And the bird was like flapping around. And the bird was like really hysterical. It was like flapping around at the window. And all I had to do was open the window. But the bird couldn't sort of rationally get it that I was there to help it. It was terrified. And I guess that's, and it was just a matter of a few seconds before I managed to open the window and let the bird fly out. But I guess that's, that's, you know, sort of an inbred escape, uh, impetus that people have when subjected to scary conditions. Well, that's perfect because you see what happens when you get into that high arousal state. You can't think clearly enough. And if there's not an escape right in your face, 
you might not even be able to use it. I, I, I'm remembering as we're talking about this years ago, I went with a girlfriend to, um, to, to Italy and we went to Venice. Now, in Venice, overlooking St. Mark's Square, there's a basilica. You can go inside up into the balcony inside the basilica. And then if you go out the back of the balcony, you're on this deck that's up maybe 50 feet in the air that overlooks mm-hmm. St. Mark's Square, looks over the harbor, the, the tower, the cathedrals. It's magnificent. So mm-hmm. I wanted to take her out there. And we walked out there, and she said, get me out of here. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, we are out. That's not what she meant. She meant get us out of out. Get mm-hmm. us back into where we had come from, mm-hmm. but the like the bird, she, she had just ca- she had just come out that door. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't she simply turn around and go out that door? Mm-hmm. Because in that state of overwhelm, she couldn't even go back in the door she just came out of. Mm-hmm. So, once again, in a high arousal situation, where you believe you're in a life-threatening situation or something you can't tolerate, and you can't escape it. So we talked about how oxytocin can keep you from getting into this high arousal state. But Stephen Porges has encapsulated the the things we can do to activate the calming system, the face, voice, and touch of another person, a person who is non-judgmental, a person who's emotionally and physically safe to be with. So that's the other thing that we want to link uh, to that can give us uh, some calming uh, to link oxytocin. We've got to plan ahead of time. We've Mm -hmm. got to look at the things that could trigger us and set up links. With using the face, voice, and touch of a calming person, we can simply link to arousal itself. We can say, okay, for the next few days, every time I start to get revved up, I'm going to pretend that this person who I have this ideal kind of relationship with, they are completely accepting of me. They don't criticize me. They don't judge me. So when I get revved up, I'm going to imagine this person walks in the room, says hello to me, and comes over and gives me a hug. So if it's like most days, you'll have a chance to practice that several times. After a few days of practice, it'll just become built in so that every time you get revved up, you get revved down. What and what if what if you don't have an antecedent of that? What if you've had uh, bad parenting, uh, untrustworthy relationships? Uh, it does it make it harder for someone to to actually imagine trust and solace? Yeah, and you know that's that's something I I hear a lot with my clients when they start looking for that person on their own. Mm-hmm. They they tend to look for some person who's to them kind of a big deal, and mm-hmm. I say I think you're looking in the wrong direction. Often the times when you're thinking about a person who you're impressed with, mm-hmm. it's a person who tends to be critical. What mm-hmm. about somebody who you might not even think is special? Someone who's just really ordinary, mm-hmm. who just doesn't criticize people, just doesn't judge people. It doesn't that have to be is, like Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp or something like that. No, it could just be a very ordinary person who just doesn't get into judging people. Mm-hmm. Because when you're with that person, they'll be sending you signals that you're safe with them physically and emotionally. And that's what we're looking for. Those mm-hmm. signals activate the calming system. And so uh, some of these uh, situations 
or some of these feelings sometimes catch people by surprise? How do you uh, rehearse the calming reaction so that you don't lose control before you're able to invoke it? Well, th- th- that's what I'm saying. For the next few days, as you notice, you just got revved up, which may take a little bit of discipline because mm-hmm. normally we, we try to not notice. So these are, these are exercises. So you have to sort of exercise yeah. your, your, the, that muscle, that sort of neglected, uh, response. What for the, just for the next, yeah. Well, I think that this parasympathetic nervous system activation is something that a lot of us don't really get good mental software for so that mm-hmm. you can build this in by next few days. Every time you feel revved up, every time you feel alarmed, bring in that person's face, that person's voice, that person's touch, so that you then are intentionally using that person to calm you when you get revved up. And after you've done, after you've done it a few times, it'll just become automatic. So, so you've got, you've got this situation where you can let arousal itself trigger calming, and you can take this person's face, voice, and touch, and link it to being in an MRI machine, being on a high place, mm-hmm. uh, being in an elevator, being in a movie theater, not on the end seat, whatever it is that restricts you that could cause panic to start. I, I'm thinking that the basis for prayer and religion uh, actually keys into this because, you know, sometimes people visualize like an all-compassionate uh, savior, you know, the image of uh, Jesus Christ, for example. And I'm not trying to be overly religious mm-hmm. because I think that every religion has uh, that uh, image, the compassionate Buddha in uh, in Asian religions uh, that uh, epitomizes this, you know, certain uh, deities in the in the Hindu religion and, and on and on it goes uh, that uh, are a source of solace for people who uh, may not uh, achieve solace on the earthly plane. Are you following me on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And, and, and on one hand, I, I have seen people who go into uh, spiritual practices for escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't know if they're getting uh, the face, voice, and touch kind of... Re- I don't know if they're parasympathetic nervous systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm being activated i tend to think they're not getting activated they're just escaping things mm-hmm. it's a, an ethereal experience it's not a very grounded experience in other mm-hmm. words yeah and then you've got the other possibility that you might have heard of people who go to be in the presence of a person who's a guru mm-hmm. and for some inexplicable reason you feel peace it may be that as stephen porges has pointed out the face, voice, and touch of a person who's non-judgmental is common. It may be that these people who are gurus have that quality of non-judgmental acceptance, and it may be that it, it's picked up as, as you have a moment with this person. This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells, restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years, and now the 45-day money-back guarantee you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800 982 
888-888-9158 or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Give us some examples in terms of um, specific cases of, um, you know, say, uh, people with a bridge phobia or people with a uh, fear of heights. Uh, how might they uh, step-by-step address that? I know that that's really the, the, the you know, the, the grist for the mill in your book, and you, and you take yeah. people through a specific program. But uh, is there a way to uh, describe the process in a, in a succinct oh, sure. way? Yeah, sure. What what you want to do is take whatever the experience is and break it down to as many steps as you can break it down into. The idea is you don't go to Chunk McDonald's it. and swallow a Big Mac whole. You bite it mm-hmm. into little bits. So you want to take the experience and break it down so you don't overload the linking. Mm-hmm. And then you want to take on one day, let's say, and link um, going into the MRI machine to the face of a lover or being with your dog, or nursing your child. That's for the oxytocin. Mm -hmm. Then on another day, you would link going into the MRI machine to the face, voice, and touch of a person who's not judgmental. You can imagine, first of all, that you're face-to-face with them. You're picking up safety signals from them unconsciously because they are safe to be with emotionally and physically. And they're holding a picture by their face of the MRI machine. So the safety signals from their face are getting infused into the subject, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the MRI machine. Okay, what about their voice? You hold a corner of the picture. They hold a corner of the picture. Talk a little bit about it. doesn't matter what you say. What matters? The quality of their voice. That's where the safety signals are. Once again, getting infused into that subject, MRI machine. Mm-hmm. And then as you're having this conversation, you notice your friend just put their arm around your waist and is giving you a reassuring, affectionate hug. Face, voice, and touch. And so you suffuse that experience with uh, these these positive feelings, uh, which um, sort of change your your apprehension about it. And this is a well, this yeah, is a dress, you, this is yeah. a dress rehearsal. This is you're not actually going into the actual activity. You're you're contemplating the activity at first and breaking it into components, going yeah. to the going to the radiology clinic, you know, parking in front, going into the waiting room, you know. Yes, uh, piece by piece, exactly like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you want to do this several times over several days because you want to build it into what we call unconscious procedural memory. Uh, People who do high-stress jobs like uh, emergency room people or firefighters, policemen, when they get in those situations, they get stressed many times too stressed to think clearly. So how Mm -hmm. do they perform? Before they go into those situations, they go through training. And in their training, they have Mm step-by-step-by-step procedures Mm -hmm. for problem A, step-by-step procedure for problem B, and so on. So they rehearse this so that when they actually are in the situation, they rely on what's been built into their unconscious procedural memory just to help listeners understand what we're talking about here. When you learn to drive your car, initially you had to pay a lot of attention to it. Mm -hmm. You really had to keep your mind on it. But as you did it, it got easier. And now, these days, you could drive the car and have a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. So your unconscious procedural memory has got a huge amount of ability. By the way, it can do this job for you, but it can't make decisions. For example, if you're driving your car on unconscious procedural memory and having a conversation, you might drive right by your exit. 
mm-hmm. but it will do the job as long as it's a cut and dried procedure. Mm-hmm. And we can train unconscious procedural memory to bring to mind face, voice, and touch when you go into the MRI machine. We can train it to remember a moment of some experience that produced oxytocin when you go into the MRI machine. Hmm. That's, that sounds great. Uh, how long does the process take, or does it depend on the degree of anxiety or the, the type of uh, phobia? Well, we, we just kind of went for 10 days because people who have anxiety really need to have something very clearly defined as this is the procedure I need to do. If, I, if I think I you wanted to emphasize that it, it was it's not like an endless process like Freudian analysis, you know, years and years, <laughs> right. you know, where the psychiatrist yeah. is racking up the bills and, you know, Tony Soprano was sitting there and pouring his heart out and uh, it ultimately didn't work out that well for Tony <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in the series. But what I find with people who I work with on fear of flying, I'll give them the assignment to do this practice. And if I don't tell them exactly how many times to do it, I'll hear from them a month later that they've done it 30 times and they wonder if they've done it enough. They only need to do it two or three times. So 10 days is plenty of time to to have this work out. So importantly, has this been validated? Because, you know, uh, typically, you know, various techniques, Mm -hmm. uh, drugs, you know, they go through testing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, What's the success rate uh, using this this technique? Well, our our lab was at 30,000 feet. What happened was, with people going through the Fear of Flying program, um, they would have videotapes to learn this procedure, as well as things about how flying works. But to learn this exercise, and I would do a counseling session with them to make sure they had it, uh, that they were doing it properly. And then, um, a couple of years ago, I sent out a questionnaire to see how well people were doing. And... 80-some percent said that they had no more panic in the air at all. Hmm. That's a great rate of success. The thing that surprised me was that I also asked if if you had panic on the ground before. And of the people who had panic on the ground before, also in the low 80s, however, not the high 80s, a little over 80% of them no longer had panic on the ground. And we hadn't even approached dealing with panic on so, the ground. So this it's is a, a sp- there's a spreading ways. effect. It's not just a discrete yeah. thing, you know, where you sign up for your your flight phobia treatments and then, okay, next we'll tackle bridges and tunnels and next we'll, you know, it, it actually has a sort of a pervasive well, uh, it, it effect. Well, it did. It did. But, but, but then now, in order to really hone in on this, we have scripts in the book for these specific situations, elevators and bridges and tunnels and, and MRI machines and so on, high places. Because it, it does work better if you link directly mm-hmm. to the challenge. Mm-hmm. It, but it, it was individualized the, uh, the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. But it was surprising that 80% who we hadn't even tried to approach panic on the ground, and they were getting panic-free on the ground. Meanwhile, it turns out that it, about 17% of people who uh, are treated with cognitive behavioral therapy become panic-free. Mm-hmm. Which is considered so, the first-line treatment these days I, for I, anxiety yeah. and phobias. Yeah, Yeah. so when I saw 17% versus 80%, I thought, whoa, what? I, I had thought that I had, you know, as you said, 
it's considered the gold standard. I had assumed it was doing the job, but I was surprised to see, although they say most people do improve, but only 17% get complete remission. I thought, well, gee, there's something we should do about that. Tom, have you heard of uh, virtual reality as a, as a, <laughs> a, a, oh, yeah. a, a, something that helps people with, I mean, you put on the virtual reality goggles and it simulates whatever experience you're having. Uh, what's your take on, on that? Well, I, I, I got a take on that because the original research on virtual reality for fear of flying was done here in Connecticut and I was involved. What happened was that they had people who went through the virtual reality program uh, and they had a control group that they put on a parked airplane for less than an hour. Mm-hmm. After the, the job was done, the two groups were compared. The people who sat on the parked airplane for less than an hour were just as good <laughs> in terms of actual flying on a real oh, airplane boy. as the people who went through virtual reality. Yeah. So, it's- so that tells you... <laughs> that's not it tells you basically it's a failure yeah but th- there's a lot of money behind it's high tech reality. it's a gadget it, you know it's, it's, yeah. yeah right and so what comes next is they didn't accept the fact that it had failed and they flat out misled the public and mm-hmm. psychologists by saying that since <laughs> virtual reality had the same performance as sitting on a parked airplane. They said, virtual reality is a, quote, convenient alternative to a traditional fear of flying course. Now, mm. here's the lie. Sitting which, on a parked airplane neither, neither is not a traditional. Neither really work. Yeah, neither of which really work. So it's, yeah, it's a convenient alternative to something else that doesn't work. Right? No, well, yeah, well but the thing, right. But the thing is, sitting on a parked airplane is not a traditional fear right. of flying course. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the point. A traditional fear of flying course is what Slim Cummings did at Pan Am. Three-day course, Mm -hmm, learning mm -hmm. about how flying works. Parked airplane, yes, but a real airplane as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And breathing exercises. (laughs) Okay, so what about, you know, people who say, look, you know, I I like your suggestions. Uh, I read the book. It sounds great, but I I think what I want, I want to make sure I'm really relaxed when I, when I do the, this process, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take a couple of Valiums or an Ativan or, you know, Xanax uh, as I go through the process. Does that blunt the efficacy of the uh, type of um, uh, relaxation that you're talking about? From what I know is really, like I say, our lab is at 30,000 feet. From what I know from fearful flyers, some people say, look, I just don't want to trust this on my mm-hmm. first flight. I say, okay, mm-hmm. go ahead and take you know what you want to take but yep. on your next flight cut it down a little bit and mm-hmm. and over time you'll find out that you don't need it because this is mm-hmm. going to give you more benefit than than the meds yeah i will tell you as as a physician who flies on planes i think one of the number one causes of people becoming really messed up and disoriented you know like people who take off their clothes or who do really crazy things on planes is because they try to sedate themselves before going on the plane they'll take a couple of valiums then they'll go to the bar they'll throw back uh you know a couple of shots and it's a terrible combination and it, it's not the answer and it will sometimes people are so looped that they completely lose you know control on planes and and do you know crazy things yeah i remember that british actress who got arrested for that sort of stuff yeah combining uh with uh with booze and you know it's not a it's not exactly i've I've been called upon to restrain patients who've been on those types of combinations they really get 
whacked mm-hmm. out. So that's, it's not the answer if you're, if you're experiencing flight phobia. Okay. So I, the, Tom, the reason I had you on here is I wanted to offer people, uh, a, 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 a very exciting, uh, novel approach to the, to this pervasive problem, problem which, uh, according to the statistics that you cite, uh, is not really that well addressed by conventional forms of, uh, you know, psychotherapy, uh, and, uh, deconditioning. So panic free, the 10 day program to end panic, anxiety, and claustrophobia. You also have a website as well that introduces people to this approach. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, the website is panicfree.net and for flying, it's pretty easy, fearofflying.com. And I want to just throw in that if, if sure. a person is interesting, interested, Every Wednesday night, we have a hour group phone session from 10 until 11 Eastern. And if a person wants to jump in and join and to kick these ideas around that we're talking about today, um, if you go on to the fearofflying.com website and look under talk and read, you can find the chat. And uh, that'll give you the information about how to join the chat and the phone session. And, and by the way, very good reviews from uh, people in the conventional uh, psychology and psychiatry establishment. Here's one. Moving beyond traditional CBT approaches to panic and utilizing the latest in neuroscience, Tom Bunn offers a very creative solution to panic attacks. Uh, that's from uh, a, a PhD uh, researcher uh, in the Department of Psychology at Smith College and many other um, folks who are uh, mainstream psychology researchers and professionals uh, have endorsed this approach. So Congratulations. I think you uh, really are uh, creating a paradigm shift in how we deal with these problems. Thank you very much. I hope the word gets out and people can try it and hope you have good results with it. I look forward to hearing how it works out for you. Thank you so much. That's Tom Bunn, author of Panic Free. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.